the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today we begin closing down our look at the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Here in Revelation, we begin a look at the church at Laodicea. That is coming up next, right here on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to our program. Today, we turn our attention to Revelation. We're looking once again at chapter 3, and it's the final church of these seven letters to the seven churches. Church at Laodicea. Yeah, the one that wasn't hot or cold. Lukewarm, ready to be spit out of Jesus' mouth. We invite you to join us as we take a look at the warnings and the challenges out of this letter. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We come now to the seventh church of the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I would like you to bear in mind that these were real churches to which the book of Revelation was written. And to enable Christians to understand the book of Revelation, Jesus, who is the head and savior of the church, was plowing up their hearts to try and move them to repentance and renewed faith and obedience so that they would be able to understand in a saving way this very important book. Once again... The letter is of such importance, like really all of the rest, that it takes a spiritual capacity to understand. If you have a sharp mind, but you don't have faith or spiritual life, you will not be able to appreciate what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea. Now, before we talk about the church, let me say a few things about the city of Laodicea. Because as in each instance, there are things about the city that are reflected in the letter. The city of Laodicea was a great banking center, similar to Zurich, Switzerland today. It was a banking center for all of Asia Minor. And it was destroyed by earthquakes and financial assistance for a rebuilding was offered from all over the all over the world. But the Laodiceans refused any financial assistance. The city preferred to rebuild itself from its own resources. It felt it needed no help from other men or from God. The citizens of Laodicea believed that money could buy them anything. It was also a center of clothing manufacturing. It was a countryside that was surrounded by world-famous breed of black-wooled sheep. It had a famous medical school, famous for two kinds of medicine. 
invented there, an ointment that was made to cure eye infections and an ear infections and an eye powder that was the best in the world for healing eye infections. Now, apparently the church in Laodicea, Laodicea heeded this letter from Jesus because it survived well into the fourth century, 300 more years. And not only that, but an early church council similar to Chalcedon and Nicaea met there in Laodicea. So we rejoice in what we know that for 500 years these people were faithful to Christ. Now Jesus identifies himself as this, verse 14, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God who says this. And as in every other instance, when Jesus identifies himself to these churches, it is always in terms of something they need to remember or that they need to know about him. Now here he is called the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Both of these are closely related. Jesus is called the faithful, true witness in the first chapter, verse 5. And he is impressing us with the fact that whatever he says can be trusted. That his word is completely reliable. His anal analysis, his evaluation of a church is reliable. If you have his analysis, you don't need anyone else's. His predictions of what is going on, what is going to happen if you repent or you don't repent are reliable. Every word of his is faithful and true. Every word he speaks is faithful. Now what does it mean that he calls himself the Amen? Well, what does the word Amen mean? And how is it to be used? It should not be used lightly ever. It is actually a very solemn word. It means the truth. When you say amen to something that is preached, you are not simply saying, I like that. Or that applies to me. You are saying that is faithful and true and I believe it. So when Jesus calls himself the Amen, he's reminding us of something that Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 1.20, where he says, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. So Paul is saying, that Jesus is our amen to all of the promises of God. It is God's yes to us with reference to his promises. And the point he is making here is, not only is Christ the promised Savior of the Old Testament, and that God makes promises to us that are completely reliable, but all the promises of God in the Old Testament are summed up in Christ. He is the amen to every promise. 
You read some promise properly interpreted in the Old Testament, and you can say amen after it. That is faithful and true, and it is summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will bestow that promise upon all Christians. So when he identifies himself as the amen, he is saying all of the promises of God throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, are summed up in him, and he will distribute them all to his people. Now, that character stands in sharp contrast to the Laodicean people because they were unfaithful. They were unreliable. They could not be counted on. And yet, in direct contrast to them, stands the Lord Jesus Christ, the Amen, the faithful and true witness. But notice what else he is called. He is called the beginning of God's creation. That's a pretty interesting phrase. The word beginning means source or origin. So he is the source, the origin of all things. In Colossians 1.18, Paul expands this thought and says, Christ is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Hebrews 1-2. In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world, who upholds all things by the word of His power. So to say that Jesus is the firstborn is not to say He was born first. That is not the point of that phrase in Hebrew in the Old Testament. It means he was the one to whom all of the wealth and prosperity was inherited. Or he was the heir of all of the Father's wealth. So here Jesus Christ is viewed as the cause, the source, the origin of everything in creation. Everything was created through him Everything was created for him. Everything is his own personal possession. Therefore, he has supreme authority over everything in all the world because it all belongs to him. He is the source, the cause, the origin of everything. There would not be anything in existence today if Jesus did not want it to exist. Nothing. There'd be no insects, no animals, no disease, no storms, no you, no me, nothing. There is no human being on the face of this earth that would exist if Jesus did not want he or she alive. If Jesus did not have a purpose or a plan for that man or woman, they would not be here because he is the beginning the starting point, the cause, the origin of everything. And everything has a purpose. And that is very important. He is even the cause of earthquakes. And remember, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. 
So here Christ, who is the Amen, the faithful and the true, the source, the cause and origin of all creation, comes to this church, a little congregation in Laodicea that is conceited because it's wealth and because of its autonomy. And Jesus simply announces his own wealth. You think you're rich? I own the world. You're talking with someone who is really wealthy and who will share all of his riches with his people. So don't brag to me about your riches and your independence. So to this lifeless, cold, indifferent church, Christ speaks as one who is the source of all true life. In other words, the members of this church of Laodicea apparently looked a great deal like the citizens of the city. What characterized the people of the city with their pride and their riches and their independent spirit, their self-reliance and self-trust and their self-righteousness also described the members of the church. Now in the other letters... There were commendations, remember? Jesus bragged on them a little bit. He wasn't just simply flattering them. He knew what was true about them. He knew what their strong points were, so he commended them for those strong points. Did you see the commendation in this letter to the church of Laodicea? I hope not, because there is none. He didn't have anything good to say about this church. Now that's amazing on two fronts. Number one, this church wasn't very old. This letter was written sometime around 68 AD. And this church was founded, it is said, in the 50s. So this was a comparatively young church that had fallen so rapidly that the head... Of the church, Jesus Christ had nothing good to say about it. And the other point is that it apparently very soon repented of its condition and became a great instrument of God for the next 300 years. So, although there are no words of commendation, there are words of complaint. And of threat. Notice what he says in verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. Beloved, those are very plain words. I'm sure none of you can miss that meaning. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate to turning on the faucet and thinking that water is going to be cold and end up drinking lukewarm water. I can't stand it. Well, that is what Jesus is saying here about the church in Laodicea. He said, my basic problem with you, church of Laodicea, is that you are lukewarm. Now, again, we have to understand the figures. So what do we mean by the word warm? Well, warm is what you should want to be. 
You don't want to be cold. And you don't want to be lukewarm. As a church, you want to be warm. And warm means fervent in spirit. It means you have a strong spiritual life. You're, you're vigorous. You're energetic. And you have a true spiritual life in you. That is what Jesus really wanted for them. But they were not warm. They were lukewarm. But they weren't cold either. So what does the figure of being cold mean? Cold means openly antagonistic. The exact opposite of warm. You are antagonistic to the gospel. You're hostile to Christ. You're defiant against true Christianity. Well, Laodicea was not cold. And they were not hostile, defiant enemies, openly antagonistic. They were lukewarm. Now, what is the image of lukewarm? Not antagonistic. Not energetic. But indifferent. Apathetic. Lethargic. Doing nothing. These were people who simply attended church. Oh, they would attend a worship service most of the time. And maybe attend family dinners and special entertaining events. They weren't defiant. They didn't shake their puny little fist in the face of God and apostatize. Nor were they fervent in spirit. They just didn't seem to care. They had other more other concerns that were more important to them. They had other interests, other goals that filled their life besides God. They were basically good people, moral, but just completely apathetic about all spiritual things, about witnessing for Christ, about growing the church and God's kingdom about living a focused Christian life. And in other words, Jesus hates lukewarm people so much that he says he vomits them out of his mouth. Ah, That's a lot of hatred, beloved. Lukewarm people, as it were, make him sick. Lukewarm church members make him nauseous. God called apostate people he is angry with. But lukewarm, indifferent, apathetic church members make him sick. Now we must take these things seriously. From this we can say there is more hope for someone like Voltaire. He was a French literary who was behind the French Revolution and the reign of terror that butchered thousands of Frenchmen that actually had as its goal the expunging of the last remnants of Christianity from France. In his writings, Voltaire would always refer to Jesus as that scoundrel. It was obvious he hated Christianity. And that hatred he had toward Christianity destroyed an entire culture, leaving in its wake the murder of literally thousands of people. Yet there is more hope, per se, 
for Voltaire than there is for a lukewarm pew sitter who just comes to church but is indifferent to the way he lives his or her life. Let's put it in our own terms today. There is more hope for a blatant, arrogant, disgusting homosexual than there is for an indifferent, lukewarm person who just takes up space in a pew and who really most likely hates homosexuality. We think of in our culture when we describe the worst there is, the homosexual, or the murdering abortion doctor. When Jesus thinks about our culture and the church in America, the worst thing there is for him is a lukewarm, indifferent pew-sitter who merely attends church and does nothing to advance God's kingdom. That person makes Christ sicker than a blatant homosexual. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, and let me remind you of these words in verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter chapter 2. I'll read verses 20 and 21. And he is speaking of those who pretended to be Christians but really were not. Listen carefully. For if after they escape the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy command it handed on to them or delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. So you see disgusting pictures here that the Bible represents of a person who is just lukewarm. Here is someone that escaped probably a lot of the worst sins of the world by attaching himself to the church. Oh, he recited the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, pretending he was a Christian. And he most likely even thought of himself as being a Christian. And then he is seduced back into the world and is all entangled by the world's temptations, is overcome by those temptations and no longer calls himself a Christian. And so his last state is worse than his first condition. He is a hypocrite. And it says, it would have been better for that person to have never known righteousness at all than to have known that way and then have, return, have turned away from it. It is like a dog returning to its vomit and like a pig washed nice and clean, returning to wallow in the muck and the mire of this evil world. So you see the Lord's opinion of lukewarm Christians? They are the worst things imaginable. They are worse than homosexuals, worse than even Voltaire. 
So the question is, what are you? And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 